Father and Son and Spirit, we do praise you and worship you. We're so grateful for the grace that we've already received today for these new covenant partners that we've received today, and we do lift them up to you. We pray now, O oh Lord, that you would pour out the Holy Spirit on the reading and preaching of your word, that it would not just be something that we understand with our minds, but that you burn in our hearts, and that we respond to your word with obedience and with love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, family. It's so good to, to see you all. Um, if you're new or visiting, want to welcome you. We, we, we uh, usually are in some particular sermon series together on Sunday mornings, and this particular season of Epiphany and now Lent, we are in a series we're calling The Questions of Jesus. We're trying to take a, a really square in the face look at the person of Jesus Christ, and we're doing that by looking at the many questions that he asked. He, he actually asked hundreds of questions to people in the Gospels. I think, I think 307 or something like that. Um, and as we've been looking at these questions together, I hope that what you're discovering is that what we see about Jesus in these interactions is that he is not so much out to give us new information as he is in engaging us in conversation. This is what Jesus desires with us, which tells us that what we need most as human beings is not just some moral redirection, but that what we need is a living relationship. That's what ultimately will make us right and well and whole, a living relationship with Jesus Christ. So I hope you're considering that, whether you've known Jesus for many years or whether you don't know him and you're just coming to know him. I hope you're taking this as an opportunity to really engage with him personally during this series. So our question this morning is, do you want to get well? This is a, a, one of my favorite stories. You'll find it in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. So if you'll open your Bibles to, to that story, um, it's also printed in the bulletin on page 10. Let's listen carefully to the Word of God as Esther Choi reads it to us this morning. Gospel reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, 
Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I was studying this passage and working on the sermon, for some reason, I just could not stop thinking about The Wizard of Oz. Uh, I've seen it recently, a middle school performance of it, and so it was in my mind. Uh, but I also saw this movie a lot when I was a kid. My mother and grandma showed it to us frequently, and I just developed this pretty severe fear of flying monkeys. Um, and they're pretty scary. Have you, seen, have you seen the film? Have you seen these flying monkeys? They, they are... They have beady little eyes, and they're mean and cunning, and they're always up to no good. And there's this one, I'd say, almost like rivaling horror movie kind of scene, at least for me. I, you know, I've had nightmares about it even up until recently, um, where the witch sicks the flying monkeys on the scarecrow. You remember that scene? And they swoop down, and they literally begin to pull this man apart ripping him to pieces, pulling out his insides, dismembering him limb from limb until he is lying on the ground in a heap, no longer whole. Now, that, that's, a, that's an intense image, is it not? And that is the image that I've had in my mind this week as we look at this question, do you want to get well? At first, glance, this just seems to be a simple story about a sick man uh, being made well by Jesus. But I think as we take a deeper look in the story, as we're about to do, I think what we'll see is that there's, there's so much going on in this story, and that what Jesus is doing is he is not just healing this man physically, he is making him whole. He is taking a man who has been ripped to pieces, a man who has been pulled apart, and he is restoring this man to the full wholeness that God made him to know. In fact, in the old King James version of the story, if you go back, if you've got an old King James Bible in your house, go back and read it this afternoon. Not always the most accurate translation, but often the most poetic. And in the Jesus asked this question instead of this one in the King James version, he says, wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? And so what this story is, is it's essentially an offer. It's an invitation to people who have been ripped apart. It's an invitation to people who've been broken and beat up and beat down. Uh, it's an invitation to people who've lost hope for any change. It's an invitation for people who have been marred and scarred in some ways by evil. It's an invitation to you. It's an invitation to you as Jesus is saying to you, wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be made whole? So, so let's look at this story through just three simple frames. First, let's look at uh, why we're not well, why we're like this man, as hard as it may be to relate, why we're not well. Second, let's look at how we try to make ourselves well, how we try to make ourselves well. And then third, let's look at how we really get well. Okay? So first, let's look at 
why we're not well. Let's take a look at this man. Would you look with me at this text for a moment? Obviously, he is physically unwell. The text says that he was an invalid. It's likely that this man was a, what we would call today uh, a paraplegic. He had no use of his legs. But that was just the start of his problems. You know, it's, it's difficult to be a disabled person in any time of history. But the obstacles facing disabled people in the first century were nearly insurmountable. Imagine there's no wheelchairs, there's no, uh, nothing accessible for handicapped people in the first century. So this man had no way to get around other than literally dragging his body from place to place. And so it's likely that he had become disfigured um, in the process. His hands were gnarled, his face was perhaps covered in scars and wounds. His body uh, was disfigured and twisted. Um, often paraplegics suffer from poor bowel uh, and bladder control. So it's likely that this man uh, was literally a mess uh, in the fullest sense of, of that word. Vocationally, obviously, he had no options for work in that time. He was forced to beg. It was likely he was homeless and had no way to contribute anything meaningfully to society. Um, socially, he was obviously isolated and friendless. Often in the first century, uh, disabled people were rejected by their own families, seen as cursed. Uh, rejected from any community. He says right here, verse 5, he had no one, no one, no one to help him. And then spiritually, he was considered unclean because of his condition. So he was shut out of the religious life of Israel, not allowed into the temple, not allowed into the presence of God, not allowed to experience the atoning sacrifices for his sin. This man was as far from God as was possible at that time. All of this for 38 years. I mean, that's like four, four decades of physical disability and pain, four decades of social isolation, four decades of despair. I mean, who knows? Can you imagine? Who knows what that can do to a person's soul? We get a little bit, a glimpse of that. If you fast forward to verse 14 at the end of the story, when Jesus says to him, uh, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, that at first glance, that might seem like sort of a bracing question, like is Jesus somehow linking this man's physical disability with some sin that he has committed? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. In fact, chapter 9 of John, uh, someone actually asked Jesus about the linkage between physical disability and sin, and Jesus says, no, 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 that's silly. And so that's not what Jesus is saying here. What I believe he's saying is he's revealing that this man's soul is as sick as his body. That he is physically unwell, yes, but he is also deeply unwell in his soul. Who knows what could happen after 38 years of this kind of cruelty and this kind of despair and this kind of pain? Who knows what kind of anger and shame and envy and bitterness and rage and jealousy and hardenedness and hopelessness would birth and develop and harden in the soul? And so you see, this story is way more than just about a physical healing. This man needs to be made well in every single way a man needs to be made well. He is sick physically. He is sick socially. He is sick interpersonally. He is sick emotionally. He is sick vocationally. He is sick spiritually. In every way a man is broken, this man is broken. He needs to be made whole. Do you see that, friends? And all of us do. 
You know, all, all, the Bible says that every one of us was made to be whole. We were made by God in the beginning to have a perfect relationship with God and with each other and with creation and with our work and with our bodies. We were made for that wonderful Hebrew word, shalom. We were made for wholeness, for peace, for flourishing. Yet what evil has done is like those, those wicked monkeys swooping down and tearing that scarecrow apart. That's what evil has done to our shalom, what to our wholeness. Evil has come in and wrecked us piece by piece, fragmented God's good creation and made us a mere shadow of the whole people that we were meant to be. So yeah, you might not be able to relate to this man physically, although some of you may. But I know that all of you could probably point to an area in your life where you could say, yeah, this is where I'm not well. This is a part of my life where the wholeness that God intended for me has become shattered. You could probably name something, this loneliness or this sadness or this despair or this dark and desperate situation I'm in or this broken marriage or this broken relationship or this depression or bitterness or this area of shame over something I've done or this shame about what someone has done to me or the guilt I carry over the things that I have done or that I cannot stop doing or vocationally your sense of worthlessness or discouragement in an area of work in your life. Whatever it is, I am certain that every one of us in here can point to something in our lives and say, this in me is not well. You know, we shared our stories together yesterday. That's one of the most beautiful things that we do when New Covenant partners join the church. And I'm telling y'all, I mean, we look, we look nice right now. You look, you look nice. You do. Um, many of you are wearing nice clothes, and I'm wearing this silly suit. But I am telling you, friends, every single person in here has a story that will break your heart. I am, I mean, we were just passing around the Kleenex box over and over again yesterday. Every person in here has a burden that you are carrying that if you were to hear it, it would bring you to your knees. And so that's why I know that what I'm saying is true. That we were made for wholeness, but we are shattered. And this story is inviting you to relate to this man and say, yeah, yeah, this is a part of my life where I'm not well. This is a part of my life where, where I need I need healing. I need to be whole. So we're not well. But here's, here's the thing, is that we try to make ourselves well. Let, let's talk about the, the, this funny pool. Okay, this pool. This pool in the colonnades of Beth, Bethesda um, was known and cr generated a legend about being this magic healing pool. In fact, some of you, if you're, if you're looking at a Bible, or if you'll even note in our, in our bulletin how verse 4 is missing, um, in some of your Bibles, there's a footnote that puts verse 4 down at the bottom of the page. At some point, some ancient person wrote in the margins, something that was not in the original text, an explanation of what the legend was about this pool. And the legend was is that every now and then an angel would come down and descend into this pool and stir it up and impute healing properties into this pool. And so whenever that angel would come and the waters were stirred, then, all, then someone who was sick could jump into the pool and they could be made well. They could be made whole. Now this obviously had become such a powerful legend within that part of Bethesda that all of these lame and sick and difficult uh, people with difficult problems and pains in their bodies had 
become almost like a magnet surrounding this pool, ready for that water to be stirred, to jump in, to be made whole. And obviously for this man, this pool had become for him his one singular hope. 38 years waiting for that water to be stirred, for that angel to come down so that he could jump into that pool and be made well. And in fact, you see that Jesus, even when he asks him, do you want to get well? Rather than just giving a simple yes or no answer or recognizing that this man is offering to heal him, he goes on this long, whiny explanation about how he has such a difficult time getting into the pool. So all of his hope, all of his ambition for restoration was singularly bound in a myth. And this is a subtle but powerful commentary on what broken humans do when we know that we are sick and we go searching for healing. We know all deep down that we are not well, that something is not wrong with us. We know we have these broken places in our lives. And what we do, what do we do with this brokenness? What do we do with this restlessness and this sense of sickness? What we do is instead of looking to God to make us right and to make us well, we look to something in creation. We look to something in the created order that we tell ourselves will deliver the healing that we need. In fact, Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. He says, when he's speaking about the universal propensity of humanity to sin, he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator. This is what we do as humans. We are sick, and so we develop these false hopes, false saviors, false healers, something in creation that we believe will make us well. Every day, this man lived with this false hope. If only, if only I could get into that pool, then my body will be made whole and I'll be made right. If only, if only. You know, Carolyn Knapp, a journalist, writes, uh, wrote a beautiful memoir about her struggle with anorexia and addiction. And this is what she writes in this memoir. She said, I lived by the words, if only, and I'd continue to do so for a decade. In my 20s, the objects of desire were good jobs and thin thighs. If only I could write for a living, I'd be happy. If only I were five or 10 pounds thinner, my life would be different. In my 30s, the focus shifted to men. If only I had a relationship, I thought. And then, months after meeting my boyfriend, if only he were different. If only the relationship were different. She actually ends up marrying this man, and then she said, if only I could divorce him. <laughs> if only, if only, what, what, what is it for you? What is your if only? I mean, some of you immediately know what it is, and I'm telling you, for some of us, it's a pretty destructive thing. Some of us, when, when you are feeling lonely and despairing, you can go after some pretty destructive things. But it doesn't necessarily have to be destructive. For her, it could be, I mean, for you, it could be like her. It could be something good. It could be a person, a relationship, a marriage, a career. It could be her physical appearance. It could be the approval of your boss or approval of a friend or your spouse or a parent. It could be personal success. It could be some new exciting experience. You know, this is very common in pastoral ministry. I went to seminary with a whole lot of broken people who wanted to be pastors. And a lot of us become pastors, and I'm not excluding myself from this. A lot of us become pastors maybe because God called us to be, but there's also something deep down inside of us that is desperately trying to heal a wound and wants to be important. And I know a lot of people who have gone after the pastorate for many, many years trying to get well. 
And what does this happen? What does all this do to us? Well, here's the bad news, friends. There's nothing in the pool. There's no angel. There's no stirring of the waters. There's no healing properties in the pool. You never get well. And you just keep on waiting. And you become more and more disappointed and more and more hardened and more and more full of despair. Henry Nowen writes about this a lot in his books. He writes this in, in one of his books. He says, aren't you like me hoping that some person or thing or event will come along to give you that final feeling of inner well-being you desire? Don't you often hope, may this book, idea, course, trip, job, country, or relationship fulfill my deepest desire? But as long as you are waiting for that mysterious moment, just like that man waiting for that angel to come in the pool, you will go on running helter-skelter, always anxious and restless, always lustful and angry, never fully satisfied. You know that this is the compulsiveness that keeps us going and busy, but at the same time makes us wonder whether we are getting anywhere in the long run. And then he writes this, this is the way to spiritual exhaustion and burnout. This is the way to spiritual death. We're sick. We know we're broken. And we look to the created things rather than the creator for wholeness in life. And instead, it makes us sicker and leads to death. So that leaves us with the final thing, really. How do we really get well? Well, to put it simply, we get well through a personal encounter with the living Jesus. And that's what we see happening in this story. So just watch Jesus. Just look at what he does in this story. First of all, he seeks him. Notice that Jesus just keeps going after this guy. In fact, he seeks him out twice in this story. Did you see that? First, in the beginning, and then in verse 14. This man does not go to Jesus. Jesus goes to him. He doesn't ask Jesus for anything. Jesus asks him. He does not go after Jesus. Jesus goes after him. And what we see is one of these great truths about the God of the Bible through the person of Jesus Christ, that this is a God who pursues. This is a God who seeks. This is a God who goes after his people, even when they are not looking for him. In fact, one of the first questions that God ever asked in the Bible in Genesis 3 is, where are you? Because y'all are hiding and I'm coming after you. This is a God who pursues the lost, who pursues the broken, who seeks after those who don't even know they need to be found. And that's what we see happening in this story. And maybe you can look back on your life and see how God came, showed up for you and how Jesus drew you and how the Spirit showed up for you even when you weren't looking for him. Some of y'all shared stories about that yesterday in your testimonies. So I want you to hear, friend, that if you're stuck and if you're lost and if you're far away, God is not waiting around for you to get your act together to come and find him. He is going after you. He is seeking you. He is pursuing you. And the fact that you are even sitting here this morning, listening to this sermon, hearing the question of Jesus to you is a sign that you are being sought by the God who finds. Will you be found? That's the first thing we see Jesus doing is he seeks. And second, he rouses this man. Did you see? He says, do you want to get healed? Now, is that a dumb question? Do you think it is? Of course he wants to get healed. Well, maybe he doesn't. Maybe, I'm guessing, after four decades of suffering and cruelty and pain and shame, this guy has stopped looking for healing. He has stopped entertaining the possibility that life could be any different. Maybe even at this point, he doesn't want to get better because he has so been, come, his identity has been so wrapped up with his disability that he no longer has an imagination or a desire for what it would mean to be well. Maybe he doesn't want to embrace a new life 
and the responsibility that it would require. He's stuck. He's hopeless. He is paralyzed, not just in body, but in will. He is hopeless. And so through this question, what Jesus is doing is what we would call in modern parlance an intervention. He is intervening into this man's sense of hopelessness and giving him a new vision for what his life could be. He says, man, do you want to get well? Do you want your life to be different? Can you see a new scenario for your life other than this one? Daily, every day, begging, sitting by this pool. Do you have a new imagination for what your life could be? He's rousing his desire. And I am certain that some of y'all need that. Because some of y'all have been coming up against the wall for so long and that you have been in a situation that is so discouraging and that you have been dealing with the same thing over and over again that you have lost any hope that your situation could any be different or something could actually change. I remember talking to a guy a couple years ago and he was talking about his marriage and the conflict after conflict in the irredeemable parts of his marriage. And he said, frankly, we've just given up. There's not any hope anymore. So we're just waiting till our kids can graduate from high school and then we'll split. And I know that some of you are in a situation like that in which you have been living with something, battling for something for so long. You have faced so many disappointments that you have thrown in the towel and you no longer expect anything could ever change. And Jesus is saying, do you want to get well? Can you imagine a new scenario? Can you envision a new kind of life? Because no matter who you are or what you've gone through or what has been done to you or how long you have been living with something, all things can be made new in Christ. There is nothing, no area of brokenness that he cannot fix, no area of sickness in you that he cannot touch, no aspect of shame in your life that he cannot restore. God yearns to restore you and make you whole again. This is what he is doing as he pursues you. He's rousing you. Can you imagine a new thing? And then the last thing that Jesus does for this man, of course, is that he heals him. I love this part. This man, Jesus asks him if he wants to get well. This man offers this explanation. Jesus ignores him and says, get up. I love the way Esther read that, didn't you? Get up. And what does it say? The man took up his mat, got up, and walked. Jesus is saying, look, man, you don't need the pool. I am the pool. You don't need the water. I am the water. You don't need the mythical angel because I am the one that you have been waiting for. I am the healing power that you have been looking for and yearning for all of these years. Only I can make you whole. And in an instant, he is made right. And y'all, just get into this story. I mean, this is, this is not like um, you getting up off the rug after your foot has fallen asleep. You know, that's not what this is like. This man, this man has been paralyzed for 38 years. His body has atrophied. His muscles have withered. His tendons have tangled. His skin has scarred. And yet in a single moment, this is, a, this is like a Genesis 1 moment. The creator God standing over the chaos and saying, let there be life. This is Jesus, the God in the flesh, standing over a broken creation and saying, let there be life. And muscles are restored and tendons are rewoven and skin is reframed and a withered body is revived and the man stands up and it is a recreation creation. It is God in the flesh speaking a recreative word over what is broken. You see that? And that's what God wants to do over you. He wants to speak a word of wholeness like that 
over you in your life. And he wants to see that all of your false hopes and everything that you look to for healing and hope and wholeness, you are really looking for him. And that he is the only one who can pronounce that word of wholeness and healing and finally put the soul to rest. He alone makes us whole. And I want you to note this, that he heals this man on the Sabbath day. You noted that? Jesus loves to heal people on the Sabbath day because he loves to pick fights with Pharisees. Uh, I mean, isn't that so funny about Jesus? He just loves to do this. And of course, a fight gets picked. If you keep on reading the story, you'll see that they eventually, they eventually kind of put together a kangaroo court for Jesus for what he's done. And Jesus slips away. And here's the thing, friends. The more Jesus heals, the more he puts himself at risk. The more he makes other people whole, the more he takes a step towards his own execution. And this is the pattern of Jesus' life. Every act of compassion, every act of healing, every time he makes another person whole, he puts himself increasingly in the crosshairs of evil until he finds himself in trial, tortured, executed, and in the grave. And by the end of the story, by the end of the Gospels, Jesus has become this man. He has taken his place as the abandoned one, as the disfigured one, as the one who is cast out and torn to pieces. And that is the secret to all of these stories, that the healing power of Jesus cost him everything. He is our substitute. Jesus knows the only way he can put us back together is if he is torn apart. The only way he can save us from being shattered is if he is shattered in our place. He is ripped apart to make us whole. That is how much God loves you. That is how much he is intent on making you whole that he would allow himself to be torn so that you might be rewoven. You see that? It's beautiful. So what do you do in response to this story? Well, let me just offer a real simple ABC. It's like, it's like, it's like old school VBS, y'all. ABC. Admit, believe, commit. All right? That's what I think you should do. First, admit. The only way that you're going to do anything with this story, with this question, do you want to get well, is if you can identify things in your life that are sick and that need to be made well. The great physician can do nothing for you if you cannot tell him where you are not well. The summer after my freshman year in college, I went to live in the mountains of Bosnia, the former Yugoslavia, with a missionary couple in a tiny village. And it was a crazy experience. And at some point during the summer, I got this, I'm sort of embarrassed to tell you this, I sort of got this very painful rash on my body. Sorry, just go with me here, okay? And so there was no doctor anywhere. There was no doctor in the village. So I had to go find, at a very great distance, I had to go find a military base, a German military base. And there, I, there was a physician. So I went in, and uh, this doctor walks in, and he is the most intimidating man I have ever encountered. And he says... What do you want? <laughs> and um, I, I just panicked. And I, I was scared. And I was like, this is not a man that I can be vulnerable with. And so I quickly said, ah, I have a cut here on my hand. And I did, but that's not why I went to see him. So he gave me a Band-Aid and he gave me some Neosporin. And we just sat there and kind of looked at each other. He said, what else? <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, here's the moment. <laughs> Am I going to be the guy who drives all of this way, travels over a mountain, goes to a physician, and does not tell him 
what I actually need. How foolish. And friends, I, 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 want, I, want, I want to encourage you that Jesus did not come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He did not come for the righteous. He came for sinners. And if you can't actually name anything in your life that is deeply broken and sick, Jesus can't do anything for you. I don't even know why you're here. The church is not like a religious club where righteous people come and pretend to be good. The church is a hospital where sick people come to be made well. And so you got to name that stuff. And, you know, notice what this guy does. I mean, this guy barely does anything. He does not give like this great confession of faith. I mean, he doesn't even know Jesus' name for crying out loud. What does he do? He just says, I'm sick and my plan isn't working. And that's how you begin a relationship with Jesus. You say, I'm sick and my plan's not working. I need to be made well. You don't have to all your, have all your questions answered. You don't have to have all of your complex things figured out. All that is required is for you to say, I'm sick and my plan isn't working. And we do that together. I encourage you to go to the spiritual retreat next Saturday. We're going to look at this question together. Do you want to be made well? Can you name those things? Can you admit? That's where we start. But second, we believe. We believe the word of Jesus. I mean, you got to give it to this guy. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your mat and walk. And instead of staying on the ground, rolling his eyes and thinking this guy's crazy, what did he do? He got up, took up his mat and walked. He believed the word of Jesus. And that's what faith is. Faith is hearing the word of Jesus and responding to it. Believing that what he is saying is true and living in light of it. You know, there's a story about Alexander the Great. I don't know if it's true, but Alexander the Great apparently once had a horse and it ran away and a private, a young private in his army captured the runaway horse and he brought it back to Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great looked at the man, looked at this young private and he said, thank you, captain. With a single word, he promoted him. And here's the thing is that this young private believed him. And so he turned around and he walked right into his, the quartermaster office and he requested a captain's uniform. And he put on that captain's uniform and he went into the officer's mess hall and he sat down and he ate a meal. And then he went to the officer's quarters and he picked out a captain's bed and he went to sleep. Alexander spoke the word. He believed it because it was so. And friends, that's faith. If Jesus says it, it is so. If he speaks a recreative word over you, then it's your job to get up and believe it. He says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Pour out all your guilt. He, he says you're valuable, believe you're valuable. Stop living in shame and insecurity. He says you have a father and you're provided for, believe him. Stop living in worry and fear. Act on the word of Jesus. He says get up, get up. I'm not saying that happens overnight. I'm just saying that it takes disciplined practice to believe the word of Jesus and to live believing that if he says it, it's so. So admit, believe, and finally commit. I love that Jesus sought out this man and returns to him, verse 14, and says, hey, brother, you're different now. Stop sinning, live differently. You're new. So stop going back to your old pool. Don't keep returning to your superstitions and your false ideas. Don't uh, live as the victim, always complaining and blaming other people. You are new. And therefore, you're called to follow me and to live as the new person that you are. 
So friends, once Jesus has touched your life, once you know that he is the only one who can make you whole, stay true to him. Don't keep going back to your if-onlys. Don't keep returning to those false pools that you believe will make you whole but never will. Resist the temptation to return to the patterns of self-pity and discouragement and despair. Every day, repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. Look to him as the only one who makes you whole. So he's asking you today, wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to get well? Look to him. Let's pray. just invite you to identify one thing in your life right now that is sick, is broken. And just name that to Jesus. He can't do anything for you unless you name it. And then would you admit to him the, the false trust that you look to to make you well? If only I get that and I'll be okay. Admit those things to him. And then finally, turn to him in your imagination. See him pronouncing a new word over you, making you whole. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us, that you died for us, that you were torn apart for us, and that you make us whole. Help us to look to you. Amen.